0: Be part of the grand design, friends. The fantastic mosaic of existence, eh? Are you holding up your end of the spectacular? (laughs) Uh. Right, you just keep it up there, Nat. Don't chicken out on me, huh? Extra shot of mediocrity here, galloping mediocrity. It's <laughs> the grand design. You know, there, there's a phrase that has always scared the daylights out of me. The the the, the term the grand design, the spectacular mosaic of existence. Uh, this here is Rumpelstiltskin. And we'll be here for a few brief minutes attempting to while away a few of the hours and spin out a few of the spider webs of the momentary thing through which we are flying like eternal moths through the flame of life. Stay clear of that wick, friends. It has a tendency to reach out and nip you where you don't like to be nipped. (laughs) You know, speaking of the grand design of existence... uh, as long as, as, long as we're, we're going to face this head-on, we might as well face it head-on. No one has ever yet been able to say, what's going on in there, fellas? You all seem to be hung up on some machine or something. What is it, speaking of the grand design? Believe me, I, I'm, I'm convinced that the one thing that makes it possible for guys to bomb cities without feeling any sense of conscience is that they're all hung up in driving the machine. That the machine is so hard to drive and so... Intricate and so difficult to operate that they forget completely what they're doing. You know, they throw the things and numbers on some of the things will click, and of course they're blowing up the entire population of Yugoslavia. It doesn't make any difference. They're flying an airplane as far as they're concerned. They're operating. This is part of the grand design, and I suspect that this is what work is. I suspect that as long as we can get involved in gigantic machines, we forget about it completely. I mean, I I know more than one guy who has spent five thousand dollars on a car that he never drives. Uh, it's the grand design. It's part of the machinery. He gets all involved in buying the car and polishing it and cleaning it and, and doing the whole schlemu with the thing, and he never gets into it and says, well, now we're heading for Tondo." So to him, somehow, that would be drawing the point of what he's doing. And I suspect that the point is something none of us... Hello, hello, test, hello. Wow. Uh, speaking points, you know. You know, somebody the other day, I don't, I don't know who it was, somebody the other day, brought up the subject of tattooing now now i don't i don't want to i don't want to alarm any of you here at this moment i am not going to advocate tattooing uh, however i am going to say this i'm going to i say one thing before we go any further that there is some deep psychological who knows what it is it goes far beyond psychological let's say it's a basic primal urge to decorate ourselves There has never been a tribe yet who did not, in one way or another, hang a thing on their ear. In one way or... It's a truth. In one way or another, put some... No, no, glasses don't count, boy. It's the beard I'm talking about. (laughs) Glasses are a necessity. I, oh, I'm I'm certainly not excluding myself from mankind. Believe me, there there are very few turtles who say, I don't have a shell. Very few. And uh, that's an old Indiana proverb. I just made it up. It's a proverb. From Moores Hill, Indiana, if you want to credit it, credit it to Moores. Because if I said I made it up, you wouldn't think it's any good. So I have to say that the old Indiana farmers say that one. There is no turtle that that can say, I do not have a shell. All right, now, glasses don't count. I'm talking about sheer, unadulterated adornment. Literal adornment, like an old tie clip. And no matter who people are, they have somewhere along the line hung some little gizmo on them. Somewhere along... A guy wearing a tie... We cannot explain tie. This is adornment. cannot explain it at all. We say it's clothing. I'm sorry. What stormy, terrible blast from the Atlantic does your tie protect you from? Well, pretty hard. Speaking of stormy blasts from the terrible Atlantic, those awful seas where the icebergs reach down and down into the eternal depth, there is at least nine-tenths below the surface. And here comes an iceberg now, friends. We'll be back in two minutes. Oh yeah. Well, of course, this is this is part of the part of the great mystery of man. One night, one night, I'm sitting there. Now I have to my ex- explanation about the. Uh, I don't have any really about tattooing, but I will say this: that when, <laughs> it's very hard to explain what you are. You know, I don't think man will ever be able to explain it. Although he work at it, he'll nitpick, he'll constantly pluck at his navel throughout all eternity. I suspect hell will be that. We'll all sit around there and try to figure out what we are. Throughout all eternity and shoveling like mad and the storms are blowing and the wind is howling and the fires are growing higher. And and, and every five minutes somebody will say, I got it, I'll tell you. We, (laughs) that'll be hell. But it is. uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe the search is going on. Now, I remember... Uh, A psychologist telling me... uh, I I happened to take a few psychological courses in in college. Struggled through them. And and along the way, one of them said to me... Yeah, too many. How many... You want to know? Five years. All right. So you can see where the problem lies. I no longer can look at anything with an unjaundiced eye. I cannot. I just cannot look at it to the same eyes that Norman Rockwell looks at life through. Uh, (laughs) I wish I could. It would be great, you know. Wouldn't it be great to have life to be one of these eternal Kodachrome slides and your your eyeballs see nothing but this brilliant green grass, you know, the kind of grass that Norman Rockwell has. It never is cruddy and rotten and the dogs have been through it and the turtles and the pigeons. and uh, You know what it's like? You know what it's like in the weeds there? I met all those cigar butts. You got to face it. Well, nevertheless, I will say this. This is just a casual observation. Mention tattooing and everybody says, what, what? Even the tattooed, especially the untattooed. They'll listen. This is, a, this is one of the basic things. In fact, one night, I'll tell you a little, little thing that happened to me one night. I'm, I'm a great shortwave listener. And uh, I, I, I've got, of course, I'm also an amateur radio operator, so I've got all this equipment, you know, and I can hear. I listen to stations in Spain. I listen to stuff coming from South Africa and all that. And one night, maybe it's maybe 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm sitting in the Midwest there, and it was a hot, steamy night. And I've got my shortwave receiver on, and I'm DXing, I'm ranging across the bands, and I come upon the sound of Big Ben. Now, Big Ben is enough to scare the daylights out of anybody, especially living here in the colonies. Oh, yes, you hear the Big Ben coming out of that shortwave receiver, and you know, you know that there's something going on there. Believe me, it goes far above and beyond Peter Sellers. It uh, goes a boom, and it echoes. There's something about listening to shortwave anyway. It goes like that. You know they're really picking it up there too. It isn't a recording. They're picking up the sound of Big Ben. It's wreck. Boy, it rocks out. And, of course, I'm sitting right there in the middle of Indiana and the corn and the cantaloupes are growing and it's hot. I'm listening to the the whole story of Western culture there. All of it. It all comes out of there. It spreads out like a great mosaic, a great carpet from there, right there. And there's a brief pause. And they announce, though they pause beautifully on the BBC. there's absolutely unhurried. Just goes on as like a minute and a half, two minutes. The Americans can't stand that. I don't know a radio station that can stand more than ten seconds of silence without everybody breaking out in the hives. Immediately, they're all excited. Uh, but not so the BBC. It goes... This is the BBC calling. This is the BBC calling, London calling. Just lets it hang there. Well, (laughs) you get a little nervous there, you know, when you're sitting next to the Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana, and all of it, you know, and uh, somehow it isn't really London calling, It's, it's all the ages calling, it's history, it's all eternity. There is no such thing as modern or... Uh, past or anything, it's eternal. Oh, it really is. You listen to the thing, and suddenly the, the announcer says, In just one moment, Professor Paul Moriarty will appear with his nightly lecture. And on comes Professor Paul. Mo- Good evening, folks. This is Professor Paul Moriarty. And he comes out with a strange kind of accent, and he's a professor of tattooing. And for 15 minutes, the BBC. Sprays the story of tattooing all over the Western world. Now he wasn't taking a downgrading look at it. He wasn't taking. A, he was. He was talking about tattooing the way other people talk about Botticelli, uh, the way people talk about Haydn. It was a great and massive art, and it just went. And I suddenly realized this is quite true, literally true. The tattooing you'll find in the in the in the central heart of the Nigerian jungles. They uh, they'll the tattoo. You'll find tattooing in Australia. They're tattooing away there. And, and I, I, uh, I, here I have a piece here that, that illustrates something very important here about the problem of tattooing and what it is. What, what are we trying to say with it? What are we trying to say with the chrome strips that run down the side of our cars? What are we trying to say to one another with the earrings? What are we trying to say to one another with with the well with the with the costumes? All the whole business. No one knows. No one quite knows. In fact, very few even think about it. Listen to this, London. More children are being tattooed, often with unsuitable designs. <laughs> this is from London. Well, I don't know quite what is a suitable design for tattooing. I I must ask the professor that. But he says often with unsuitable designs. That conjures up a fantastic picture. Can you imagine several unsuitable designs that you can see tattooed on yourself? (laughs) And listen, Dad, I didn't think of it. You thought of it. You've got your own unsuitable designs. More children are being tattooed, often with unsuitable designs. Dr. George Shepard reported in the medical news today in Britain. He said an American airman refused to marry an English girl until she removed from her arm a tattoo reading... I love George. His name was Fred. The airman, that is. <laughs> well, now, this is an actual story. It says, it says there was a two-year two waiting list at her local hospital of persons wanting a skin graft, the only method of removing tattoos. He said a two-year list to get the darn things taken off. The doctors cited the case in demanding that tattooing of children without parents' consent be made illegal. Well, I, I one time, uh, I, I don't know of many men who have not had a brief momentary urge to have something tattooed on their upper forearm. If you say no, I say you've got gland problems, and you better go find out about it. Uh, oh, yes, uh, I'm telling you this, and and, and, I, 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 uh, and before we get into the sordid tale of how Shepard almost got tattooed with an unsuitable design in the city of Long Branch, New Jersey, eons ago, we will get on with that horrendous, and by the way, if there are any kids listening, any people that the squeamish listening, you just better go, because this is a territory, one that I do not like to recount too often, because I break out in a sweat. We will be back in two minutes to tell you this hair-curling tale of woe, perdition, and torture. Please. All right, now we're back here. Now we're back. Now, now. I, I, first of all, I must preface this story and say that man in captivity, and, I, and when I say in captivity, when he is captured by society itself, when he's in the family unit, rarely gets tattooed. Now, I, I, I like to believe, and, and I've, I've often thought, that man, when he's in what we call the basic unit of society, is literally man in a cage, which he's created for himself. And you know that this, this image has been used for countless years by, by uh, poets, by writers, uh, by, uh, by operatic composers, the term cage. You know, it's a funny thing about society. It is both a cage and a refuge, it's a cage and a cave. It's warm, and it's also cold. Uh, the, the, is the family is the family a place where you're trapped, or is a family that is a safe is it a safe haven? Well, it's a difficult thing to say. It really is. It, it keeps vacillating in your mind, back and forth. Uh, a certain moment you say, "Oh, boy, if I could ever blow this thing. Oh, if I could ever fly this this trap." Wow. Now, there is not a man alive who has not said that at one time or another, tattooed or not. I don't care how bad your glands are. You have said this. There is not a chick alive who has not but what for one brief moment... Oh, oh, why did I have... Oh, this lock. Oh, oh, these kids, this icebox, the whole scene. Oh, oh. All right, there it is. And yet, five minutes later, you're all there around the table, and the soft music is playing... And there's the look in the eye and say, You know, Madge, I was nothing before this. Nothing. Well, 15 seconds later, he's saying, Oh, my God. Oh, if I could only... Oh, so there you got it. You got a cage and you got a cave. Now, I believe that when man gets out of that cage, for whatever reason, he is a very different creature than when he's in the cage. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It is really that split thing. Now, why, one of the reasons, I believe, why millions of men look back with a strange mixture of nostalgia and loathing upon the armed forces, the army, or the navy, or the marines, or whatever it is he was in, was because that was the time he was sprung, literally sprung. He was out of the cage. Now, in many ways, he was out of the cage because he was also taught to be something that you are never taught to be in the cage. He was taught to be a predator, a killer. They said, "You can do it all now. Go, man, go." And not only that, nobody will recognize you because you are all in the same uniform, in the same suit. You are literally freed of the old of the old bonds of identity. You know, uh, when you're back home in in uh, in uh, California, when you're back home in Idaho, you're old George Witherspoon. You know, there you are, old friendly George. You live down there at the end of the street, you know, and you keep walking in and out of the house with that stupid look, and you got the lawnmower, and everyone knows you, really. And even when you go five miles away to the next town, who are you? George Witherspoon. You go 20 miles away, and you're George Witherspoon. It makes no difference. You're the guy with the nutty sport jacket, you know, the guy with the rotten socks and all that. There you are. But let me tell you, you get in the signaler and you are not George Witherspoon. You are not Charlie Schmidler. You are not. You are just this anonymous thing. And you drift around and life is very, it's like quicksand. It's like living in a sea of quicksand. Any minute now, they're going to shift you from here to Algeria. Or or they're going to kill you. You don't know, you know. So, so there you are. No identity whatsoever. Now, what do you do? You revert to a behavior that is almost primal. In its qualities. Oh, really, truly primal. Guys drink. Oh, I got mean, guys that are not even, not, you know, no drinkers. They're not even drinkers. The minute they put the suit on, they put them on a train and send them off to Fort Whoopi somewhere. What do they do? All right, give me a bottle of beer. Hi, hey, Charlie. Hi. Hey. Why? He's out of the cage. He does not know. He's driven by forces beyond his control. Fifteen minutes later, he's in a town. He sees a girl doing on the street. Hey, hey, baby, hey! And he's running down the street yelling and hollering. Back home in and back home in dismal seepage, Iowa. He barely looked at him. Boy, you let him loose on the streets of wherever it is, and he's a he's a madman, you see, because no identity. He ain't Char, he isn't George Witherspoon anymore, or Charlie Schmidlap. What is he? He's just this thing in this, you know, he's got this universe it's like he's like an animal. He's like one of eighteen million skunks. You can't tell one skunk from the other. You know, they just got all the striped on the back, and they all yell and they run. And, and so here he is. He's out of the cage. Now, what else does he do? What else does uh, does primitive man do? Well, many really uh, fine social anthropologists have reported that one of the basic one of the basic means of uh, of de- determining various levels and types of civilizations and prime and primeval tribes and in uh... in tribes that are, are living in the stone age is the kind of decoration the kind of the kind of tattoo they have until finally, certain tribes you know are tattooed from birth i mean way down the level of civilization and they tattoo you know how they do it there boy they really do it they 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 slice the skin and they fill it full of clay until finally the the person is tattooed from head to foot all the way over now as the tribes go higher and higher "Quote in, uh, in in certain kinds of physical anthropological studies, the tattooing gets more and more subtle, till eventually it practically disappears and consists of a, maybe a little discreet earring uh, that a person will wear. Oh yes, you notice that the, that the very wealthy hardly do it at all until finally they have that simple black dress uh, or the simple black suit." And as you go down the level of slobs, the ties get wider, the lapels get wider, the stripes get brighter, the socks get wilder, <laughs> and the shoes become three-toned shoes. You know, and it goes all the way on down, and and it's 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 a it's a measure of, of civilization. Speaking of uh, speaking of the primeval forces, I think we better let the uh, the old sales department have a couple of shouts here for a moment. We'll be back in 120 seconds. Oh, by the way, before we before I, I must tell you one more thing. None of us are immune from this. Not one. Any more than the lion is immune from, you know, the taste of blood. He tastes it no matter it. uh, You can teach him how to eat carrots. There is still a look in the eye when a zebra walks past. He hates himself for it, but he sure would love a great big fat lamb chop. You know, he sits there and looks. Well, that's the way we are, you know. We cannot escape. And speaking of no escape, you're not going to get away from this, Dad. And uh, there you are, you know. <laughs> well, now, now, uh, as as the guy as as the guy uh, gets out, uh, and and I, I suppose I shouldn't talk like this about uh, about loved ones, but as he breaks out of the cage, his desire to get and, and to return to the ancient tribal ways becomes almost almost a uh, well, it becomes an overwhelming thing. Now, have you noticed that almost everybody who was tattooed was in the Army or the Navy? This is a truth. Almost invariably. Very few guys walk right out of BBD and over and say, you know, I think I'm going to get an anchor put on the top of my head. What i am going to do? You know, I, can you imagine a guy sitting around tomorrow morning, he's at the insurance office, and he's out, with, he's out with Clarence, and they're out for lunch, and say, hey, Clarence, why don't we go over and get Mother tattooed on our arms? You know, it just doesn't happen. But it is a very, very natural thing in the army. Very natural. He's completely out of that old cage of civilization. And now, not only is it natural, there's an urge to do it. Literally an urge to do it. And so, I'm going to tell you a a terrible thing that happened to me. One night, I'm I'm in the army. I've been in the army a couple of years, you know, and we're banging around. And already, I'm returned now to my primal state. I've got a pair of tusks. Where you know, oh yes, I've got tusks and the whole thing, and and there's a certain, uh, but there's a certain hairiness of outlook too. You don't worry about things like dirty clothes or anything anymore. You smell, and you don't think. Uh, uh, guys in the army, you know, I knew guys, I knew guys, even living in the barracks, who would go for four months without taking a bath. Or a shower. Oh, yeah. you could. Light. If you lit a match near them, within five feet of them, there would be that blue butane smoke, you know, the, the gas would light. And it's just the way barracks lives. Oh, you walk through the barracks. These are things you never hear about in Army stories. But you walk through the barracks at, at two o'clock in the morning and you can tell whose bunk you're near. If you've been in the company long enough, you just, you know, just walk through there, you know. And, and uh, oh, there's a lot of problems. And so, so when you when you when you're in the army, you're of course driven by these things which nobody nobody really recognizes in society. So one night I'm out with Gasser, and we are. Well, what do you mean? This is my friend, Corporal Gasser. I was Corporal Shepherds so <laughs> We we uh, we're out. Yeah, well, I, I don't often use my military rank. Have you ever, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever noticed? No, I don't like to, you know, throw my weight around here and that kind of thing. It's, I think that's an awful affectation. I do, I really do. Uh, I can remember when, uh, when I used to sit there in the barracks once in a while. I got a radio, and there was a guy named Major George Fielding Elliot. Do you remember? He was always making news commentaries and vast pincer movements and different places and gigantic strategical operations. And we always could, we never could figure out how the devil a major got to be so big. He was dealing with vast pincer movements. Most of the majors I knew were down in the supply room, you know, in charge of Form 32s and handing out shoes and all that, you know. But uh, I often thought of myself as appearing, you know, eventually post-war and doing great commentaries. And this announcer would say, I'm now here tonight with the war news... And a commentary on the strategic situation is Corporal J. P. Shepard. <laughs> oh, my. well, well. Uh, so, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm a corporal, and this other guy's a corporal. And one terrible Saturday night, both of us go into a place which is very, very uh, basic. Uh, this is a place called Long Branch, New Jersey. And I, and I have to also point out that almost all parlors. Have you noticed they call the tattooing emporia parlors? They're always called parlors. Almost all tattooing parlors are next to the sea. Why is this? What is more primal than the sea? Man is drawn to the sea, believe me, like a moth is drawn to a flame. Man was originally an amphibious creature. And so, when you get next to the sea, when the wind blowing in, and you're in the army, you're out of the cage... You're in the Navy, you're out of the cage, you're in the Marines, you're out of the cage. What is more natural than to decorate the skin in the ancient tribal markings of your kind? (laughs) If you're in the Navy, it's an anchor. If you're in the Marines, it's it's crossed flags that say, uh, In hoc agricula conch, or semper fidelis, or, uh, you know, or Marie or something like that, you see. And in the army, of course, there are a certain set of things that, that uh, go for the tribal markings in the army. You don't hear much about it. Speaking of tribal markings, you want to make a station break there for these guys? Uh, speaking of tribal markings, you know, <laughs> all right, man, tell them, tell, them, tell them what we are and why we are and, and spill it out. Okay, and as long as, as, long as we've uh, knocked off here for a couple of seconds, uh, uh, I, I would like to uh, return once again to the ancient tribe and the old cage. I think the old cage of commerce, the old cage of, of social intercourse, uh, buying and selling, the old marketplace, I think this is part of the cage. I really do. I, I, in the army, there's no such thing as the barter table. There's no such thing as the bazaar Unless you can call the uh, PX the bizarre. it isn't really that. Uh, it is bizarre in certain ways, but not quite the way I'm speaking of it. And so now, let us all, as we do, as we are wont to, in this great, great, massive mosaic of civilization, let us all link hands now and pray quietly towards the commercial department. Okay, okay, okay. Now, now, now. I've got. I've just got to tell the story about about the tattooing. Gasser and I are in town at a place called Long Branch, New Jersey now Long Branch, New Jersey is a kind of uh, best way I can describe it is a kind of a run down boardwalk town that gets very dark at night and uh, they invented Long Branch potatoes there you know Oh, yeah, and oh, no, no, not in the Army. Nobody surf cast in the Army. In fact, when we were there, nobody had discovered surf casting. That isn't what they did. They'd, they'd, they'd machine gun fish once in a while there or throw hand grenades in the water or sane them out or something or spear them, but nobody. You know, the sports world had yet to be discovered in those days. And, and we're, we're, we're cruising around Long Branch. Now, there was a tiny USO there. Now, the USO can go just so far. Uh, towards uh, a squashing whatever it is. Now the USO, in a way, really is a kind of outpost of the cage. And so we would go to the USO, and there would be the donut counter and the coffee machine, and they give us milk and gas, and now we're drinking the milk and eating the donuts and playing a little ping pong. And the girls are very nice, and it's all like home. You know, it's kind of very polite, and they've got ferns over in the corner. We stand there for a while. And we look out in the darkness, but once that creature is out of the cage, it's difficult to get really get him back into it for any extended period of time. I think this is why, one of the reasons why the American Legion, all the various army organizations, whenever they bust out, you know, have a big national convention, it's fantastic. Just bust out, it's wild. The insurance men on a convention don't do that. No, no. And so there we are, sitting in the USO, and we leave... About about 10.30 at night, and we're walking around the streets of Long Branch. And there are the yellow lights hanging there, and outside the boardwalk, you can hear the sea coming in. We go into this joint, which is totally removed from the USO. US, we have about three beers. Now, we're not drinkers, remember this. We're just kids in the Army. We have a couple of beers, two or three. We drift out, and we walk up and down. And there's a place where you can go and buy a souvenir of candy. They're always selling near the sea saltwater candy. And so there's saltwater candy, 75 cents a pound. You know, this can only keep you entertained for a couple of seconds and drifting back and forth. And there's been two years, you know. we understand, we've been there two years. We're like animals now, moving through the dark fastnesses of the jungle. Our knees flexed, our muscles ready to leap in any direction. A couple of girls go by and gas our turns. <laughs> hey, baby! Nothing, they just keep going off into the darkness and back and forth we go. When all of a sudden... Way down there, at the end of the boardwalk, we see this light. There it is. It's a golden, reddish light hanging there. And we are drawn like moths to a flame. Somehow we knew that this is a place we had to go to. I got closer and closer and closer. It was one of these little narrow places. You know the kind of places that today they say, keys made while you wait? and they sell locks and all that kind of stuff a little narrow place see and out in front is a is a tall thin sign with pictures all over it and it said Professor Watson tattoo artist well we stand there for a couple of minutes and look in and gas and say, oh my god, yeah, well, who would ever want to and he says gee wow well, you know oh what a nutty thing at the tattoos there and I say yeah you know, I'm, I'm, you know it's crazy just, uh, we look And there are his designs. There's a mermaid, a green mermaid with red eyes. And there is a a kind of a light blue, they all look like cockamamies or decals, and there's a light blue anchor with a rope twisted all around it. And at the bottom it says, to my lost buddies. You know, that kind of thing. And then there's one with a big red heart, and it says, mother and it's dripping blood, and it has an arrow through it, or a dagger stuck in it, you know. we at this and gas, oh, wow. And we, we, we sort of drift out of the light, and we go on further on. Now, we've got a pass. We each have a pass that is good for 11 o'clock. Drift on down. And we get down to the, maybe a half a mile down the boardwalk, and gas says, you know... Let's go on back to the bus. There's nothing going. There's nothing cooking. Let's get back to camp. It's now about 10.30, roughly. So we turn around and we start going past again. We drift on down towards the bus, and we have to go right past old Watson's place. And we look in again, and there is Watson sitting in there, and there's a sailor. This guy's got his jacket off, you know, the white top off, and he's sitting there with nothing but the with the white pants on the bottom, and he's got his hat on. He's got his, he's got his sea hat on. And the guy is bending over him, and he's got a needle. Have you ever seen them tattoo anybody? Well, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's, it's, it looks like one of these wood-burning sets. It's got a little needle. It's like an electric pen. And he has a technique. He has about nine of them that are different colors. You see, they're all in a little rack there. If he wants red, he goes... Then he reaches for the blue... And, of course, the guy's sitting there, his mouth is all screwed up, and he's sweating. Oh, oh, wow. oh. He looks out at us, and Gasser looks in at this guy, and the guy's, he's looking out real sweaty, and you know, he's like, oh, my, oh, wow. And the professor says, here, and he hands him a glass of water. He says, drink a little water. Because, you know, getting, getting tattooed, like any real tribal rite, is painful. There is no such thing as a tribal rite that just passes in the night. And so we are fascinated by this and somehow drawn to it, absolutely drawn to it. The sailor's sitting there, and Gasser sort of, he says, let's let's take a look around, let's go in. And the next thing I know, I am in parlor, the, the tattooing parlor, watching the sailor get tattooed. Now, he was having a tasteful design there of a ship sinking. It was being done, and uh, it was a very, it was very tasteful, and, and the, you could just see the stern of the ship, and you could see the waves, and under it he had he had Lexington written. He had been on the Lexington, say. <laughs> and he had the date you know they were putting the date there you know at the coral sea or wherever it was the Lexington went down and oh, you know the guy and he was making the sea green you see he was going and the guy was going out of his skull with the, with the pain of it you see and, but there it was and he kept looking down and you could see as he looked down that he was seeing the Lexington go down in the coral sea and he was seeing that forever and ever and ever he would carry this away it was just like some great achievement that he himself was achieving there was a sense of Satisfaction about it. And old Watson looked up and he says, uh, he says Can I do anything for you, boys? And, and Gassa says, No, we're just looking around. And all around us were the red hearts, the Cupid dolls, the traditional classical designs that all tattooing artists from Singapore all the way to Shanghai by way of the North Pole have forever and ever and ever put on guys' skins. It's classical, literally classical. I mean, really, you don't go in there and say, "Give me, I want you to put on there the Empire State Building. They just wouldn't do it. If you went in there and says, I want a free-form design, I want something like Jackson Pollock plays on the the biceps up here, why, why, you would insult a real classical tattooist, because, you see, he's proud of his designs. He's proud of the way he executes a mermaid. He's proud of the way he turns out uh, a heart. He really is and, and, and a good tattooist has nothing but scorn for a bad tattoo job You come in there and you've got a kind of a lopsided or a heart that just doesn't sing you know uh, oh yes this is some uh, or, 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 or what was that I can't hear you through the glass I we've always had that problem but seriously, you, you, you cannot you cannot put down the art of the tattooist and apparently this guy was a good one. So here we see the Lexington is going down, and he's putting down there the USN under it, and he's got all around it, he's got anchors, and little, it was a great big design, you know. He had little anchors and US flags, and in the middle of it, the ship was sinking. Well, Gasser looks at this, and he turns to me, you know, we're in the signal corps, and he says, you know, I wonder if this... And sure enough, there on the wall is a pair of crossed signal corps flags. Have you ever seen the signal corps flags? the big oh yeah that's the insignia of the US signal corps cross flags one is white and one is orange the cross flags of the signal corps and Gasser looks up there he looks at me and I said no Gasser no 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 (laughs) no Gasser and, and Gasser says, well, wait a minute. I just want to find out how much it would be. That's all. You know, if this is the way disaster happens. Guys say, I want I to, want, I want. you know, how many times have you heard guys say, wait a minute, Charlie. I just want to go over and ask her. I just want to see what she'd say. The next thing you know, it's a marriage that goes on for a 100 years. There's an axe murder at the end of it. And a whole dynasty has filed it. So Gasser says to me, I'm just going to find out what it would be. Now, I'm not interested. I just want to find out. And so he says to Professor Watson, he says, Mr. Watson, Professor Watson, uh, how much are the signal core flags? And the professor says, will you please not bothering me? He oh, please don't bother me while I'm at work, please. And this sailor is sweating there. And, and, and gas system, does it hurt, Mac? And the guy looks up and he says, "Nah, nah. No sailor would admit to a guy in a signal corps that anything hurts, you know. Nah, nah. The sweat is coming out. He's half crying, you know. You can see the guy, and he he always imagines himself on the beach back home with this thing, back home, stripped. And there's that fantastic. He was at the sinking of the Lexington, and gas says, "How much? How much is it?" And the guy looks up and he says, "Well, what do you want? What, what do you want on you?" Gases? gas assistive. well, the signal core flags back there, how much are the signal core flags? How large do you want them? How big? Your chest? You want them on your chest, your back? How you want them? On your little wrist or what? And the guy says, <laughs> says well, well, how about uh, uh, above? See, you don't want it to show. Somehow, you know you, don't know, it's, you know, you don't get it on the top of your head or in your forehead or, you know, in the back of your neck or something like that. Well, you know, Well, uh, you, you know, you think, well, maybe I ought to get it down on the bottom of my thigh or somewhere, you know, where I can hide it. But I always have it, you know, somehow. And Gasus says, well, uh, up here, up here. He said, well, let's see, that's uh, $4. $4 somehow you never thought how much a tattoo costs you know four dollars that's greasy kid stuff that's nothing you know even you know four dollars yeah four dollars all of a sudden it had a new dimension you know it was very real then and guess says, four dollars he says well can i have a name put on it he said well what do you want on it i said boy what, what do you want and gas says, well uh, how about uh, effie F-E, how you spell that? And this yes, says, E-F-F-I-E. He says, E-F-F-I-E, ain't five, that, that will be 25 cents extra with the F-E there. And uh, Gassy says, well, let's see, that's four seventy-five with the flags. He says, uh, listen, is there any way to have a wreath put around it? You know, they have the wreath on it. He says, how big do you want the wreath? He says, well, the wreath goes, that big green one there. He says, well, the wreath is a dollar and a half, that big one there. I guess, let's see, four seventy dollars 75 oh, $6, I could probably have the Taj Mahal on there, see? So we're talking this thing out. It's becoming, be careful of this, friends. When you start talking about things in the particular, they become very, very logical. The most dangerous of all things become logical once you begin to discuss the particulars of them. Once you discuss the actual technique of burning down the city hall. Like one guy says, well, look, I can, I've got four-gallon jars in my basement. You get the gasoline. Fred, all we need it with stick of wicks. The next thing you know, you're down there burning the city hall. If you keep it in the general, you're safe. But once you start saying, how much is the wreath? So gas, <laughs> gas is asking about the wreath. And, well, yes, that's all right. All right. All right. They're, they're all excited in there. We'll give you one, 120 seconds. We'll be right back. Okay, okay. Now here we come. Is that, that, that's long enough. They, they can cut out for crying out loud. These guys are good. They know how to operate them controls. Well, now, now you, you, you got the scene. Now we are, we are, we are hanging in there. It's hot. Oh boy, it's hot. And I think, I think, also that's part of it too. The heat, the sea, the boredom, the ennui, the sense of no involvement, no connections. All the rest of it is all sort of building up, and we walk out. We walk out on the boardwalk. Now, Gas says, Mike, geez, wow. He says, let's see, we've got 20 minutes to the bus. Let's get going. And, and I, I'm, I'm sort of hanging back. I'm, I'm curious. I want to see how the sailor comes out of it. You know, it it's a real operation. It really is. It's a, it's, a, it's a physical and a technical operation. So we get down on the boardwalks. So you want another one in there? Is that your problem? Another one, everybody? Everyone's all worried in there. Because, you know, it's very hard to tell a story when everyone's worried about problems. So I will make now a break, and then we will finish the story, okay? You know, it's it's like being up on the stage doing Hamlet, and everybody can hardly wait to get to the men's room. You just cannot say to be or not to be. Actually, it comes out to go or not to go. That's, that's the technique, and you, you just got to realize that. When, when, you, when you're being an audience, you either be an audience or you better be a nation of, of gentlemen rooms, go or tours. There's no in between. All right, now, you got the scene now. Gasser and I, and I, and I'm telling you, I'm not inventing this. This is exactly what happened. I came very close to having a curse on me, a blight, for the rest of my life. We get out on the boardwalk. And Gasser walks about 10 or 15 steps, and he says, I'm going to get a pair of Signal Corps flags on, just on me, so I'm going to get it. I said, but Gasser, you know that doesn't come off. He says, come on, oh, come on. We go back in there. The sailor is through. He's all washed up. He is rolling down his sleeve, and it's beautiful. You know they put alcohol all over it. Do you know that they rub unguentine on the outside of a tattoo after it's done to relieve the stinging? Gasser sits down in the chair, and I watch with fascination as he begins to grow this beautiful pair of orange and white signal corps flags with the inscribed name in blue and red letters, Effie, forever. On and on it goes. Well, do you know that three minutes before the hour of 11, I sat down in the chair and I had picked a mermaid. I had picked a big yellow and green mermaid that was going to be inscribed on my left arm right here, under which would be the simple statement, Esther Jane Alberry, eternally yours. Well, <laughs> oh boy, all I could say it was one of the close shaves of my life. I'm sitting down there. I sat down in the chair when the professor says, be close at 11. Can you come back tomorrow night? It is very difficult in the heat. Come back tomorrow, and I will fix you up. And I say, well, come on. He says, no, I do not. I cannot stay open one more. He's come back tomorrow night. I got up off the chair. We went out into the bus. Gasser is sitting there with his arm hurting. And all the way back to camp, I thought about Esther Jane Alberry, eternal yours. And it got better and better. And then came the cold gray light of dawn the next morning. And I am still sitting here, untattooed, unmarked. And somewhere, Esther Jane is spending forever her own life praise be to the lord the way it later turned out oh man that was a close one